Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Amen. What is a joy to be here this morning. We do need to be praying. There is a lot of our church membership and child, uh, youth that are dealing with the flu. It is going all around the school systems. And so we need to be praying for those who aren't here today that are possibly online with us. Thank you so much for being online. And I'm just so thankful for our sound team. You know, we don't, we don't share that often about our sound team and those in the back. Let's let them know how thankful we are. And y'all don't know this, but Barry is in the back making sure the screens, and he has a tough time following me because I run back and forth on the stage. Uh, but Barry, we are so thankful for you and all that you do as well. I want to share just a few announcements with you. We have Operation Christmas Shoebox, uh, Christmas Operation Christmas Child, or the shoeboxes as we know it. There are several in the back. The Christmas tree is slowly coming down as you see that people are picking up those boxes. And uh, if you would get one and fill it by November 13th, that's the deadline to get that in. Love for you to be a part of that with us. We're also taking donations that go towards gifts for Light of the Village. You can mark that on, uh, on the far area of the check or you can put that in an envelope, a uh, tithing envelope that you can write on there for uh, the Light of the Village. Place that in our offering boxes and that will get to uh, the people who are, are purchasing those gifts for the kids there at Light of the Village. Our women's ministry is hosting a game night coming up on Friday, November 11th from 6 to 8 o'clock in the youth room. And they're also going to be collecting new toys and games for infants 12 year, from, for infants to 12 years. I did that last time, didn't I? Man, I need to learn how to read. Toys and games for infants to 12 years to benefit those at the Pasco ministry. This is a ministry that we've been partnering with for years and love for you to come and be a part of that. And then also, Brother Randy um, has put a deadline for a deposit for the Alaskan mission trip. If you are praying about or thinking about going on the Alaskan mission trip, uh, which is going to be next summer in the first week of July, the deadline to put down a deposit is November 30th. For all those who are interested, the uh, deposit is $250 per person. And remember, that the whole cost of the trip is 350 per person plus your airline. Um, so if you would like to go and be a part with us as we partner with the Alaskan Baptist up in Alaska, um, Anchorage, Alaska, please see Brother Randy or uh, let us know that you are interested. The deadline to sign up will be November 30th. Now many of y'all know that we had our uh, marriage retreat this weekend. Um, I drove back in this morning. Actually, Leslie drove in and I slept. Um, but we drove back in this morning. Several of our members are still over in the Destin area with the uh, Weekend to Remember. It was a wonderful uh, event, a wonderful time. And I uh, look forward to years to come of, of having that opportunity to do that again with more and more of those who are here at Luke 418. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Oh, one other thing. If you did not get your elements for the Lord's Supper... In the first song that we're singing, you may want to walk out and get the elements at the tables at any of the doors, um, because at the end of our time today, we're going to be taking of the Lord's Supper, and you're going to want to have that, otherwise you're going to be getting up then to go get it. So during the first song, if Brother Aaron, people aren't leaving, if, if you see them stepping up and, and going. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, you are so good and we praise your holy name. And Father, we thank you for your mercy, your grace. We thank you for your love. And Father, today as we come together, I I mentioned earlier, Lord, and we pray for all those who are dealing with the flu. Those who are sick, Lord, we pray for healing. And Father, we do pray right now, Lord, that those who are online with us today will recognize that we worship in spirit and in truth together. Father, your Holy Spirit is there as it is here. And so, Lord, we rejoice today knowing that you are here and that you're going to speak to our hearts. Now, Father, I do pray most of all that your name be lifted high and glorified in this place as we worship you in spirit and in truth. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Aaron. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I do have one more announcement on behalf of the Praise Ministry. We would love for you to come and join us December the 10th and the 11th at 6 p.m. for our carols 2022. Uh, We're going to be singing uh, every carol that you do know and some that you don't know. But the through fair there is that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Not for this generation but for every generation. We've announced that on Facebook. We'd love for you to bring uh, everybody that you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends. Uh, We want want to pack this place out with people who want to praise the name of Jesus. And that's what we're here to do today, remembering his blood, especially through the Lord's Supper. Would you stand and say uh, hello to somebody this morning as we sing? Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood. today as the recipients uh, of that blood, of that sacrifice. And for that, we give a doxology of praise this morning. Would you sing this with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Let earth and heavenly saints proclaim. Let earth. 
saints proclaim the power and might of His great name. Let us exalt on bended knee. Praise God the Holy Trinity. Praise God, praise God, praise God who saved my soul. Praise God, praise God, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise to the King. Praise to the King. His throne transcends His crown and kingdom never ends. Now and throughout eternity, I'll praise the One who. doxology one more time. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, We have received that blood and the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to direct us. But we also have the promise that we are right in the palm of his hand. And the battles that we face and the enemies that we face, we know that the victory has already been obtained. We pray for those enemies that they would kneel and they would submit to the love of Christ today. But until then, our God is a mighty fortress. Let's sing. A mighty fortress is our God. Seek 
as we continue in worship. Let's sing this together. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. Oh 
pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we dwell on your goodness, as we dwell on your grace, the fact that now and forevermore you will be a fortress that we can lean on and go to. And we pray that we would give you our entire lives and not just parts of them. That it would be all for you, that we give you our whole heart, our mind, our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, Lord. We pray that we would be a light in a dying world, that we would get together, know you more intimately, grow in you daily, and go in you to all the world, not just some of the world, not just our backyard, but to the ends of the earth for you. We pray that more would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as we go. We thank you for the power that you give. We thank you for the mercy that you bestowed on us on the cross. We love you today. We thank you today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. The world is on its way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. So double-minded. A plank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners. Open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. And let our hearts be by mercy help us to reach with open hearts and open doors oh Jesus friend of sinners break our hearts for what breaks yours yeah friend of sinners, the one who's riding in the sand. May the righteous turn away and the stones fall from their hands. Help us to remember we are all the least of these. Let the memory of your mercy bring your people to their knees. Nobody knows what we're for, only what we're against when we judge the wounded. What if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines, and love like you did? Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let Help 
such a powerful song, I believe, by Casting Crowns. Is that correct? You know, that song kind of summarizes a little bit of what we've been walking through in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to finish Matthew 5 today. Uh, Don't worry, we still have two more chapters in the Mount. And so we've got a little ways to go. But as that song was sung by Aaron, so wonderful and and beautiful, there was a couple lines in there that really just sticks out to me. One, it says that people are coming to the Lord, but yet they're tripping over me. You know, is that not what we've looked at here when Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God? The Pharisees were so focused on the law and being right and allowing their good behavior in the law to be what justifies them before God. And they were speaking these things and telling people that this is what they must follow when Jesus said, follow me. They were the, the, the people that, that, that others were tripping over as they were trying to get 
to Jesus. I hope and pray that that does not define any of us in this room today. The, the, the song also said that we're known so much for what we're against. And it's time for people to hear what we're for. Church, can I tell you that it's so often that, that I hear what Christians are against. But do we tell people what we're for? God's love and mercy and grace were for life. Abundant life in Christ. Forgiveness. That's what we've seen in Christ in our lives by the blood of the Lamb being put upon the doorpost of our hearts. As we look at this passage today, we're going to finish the sixth of the six antithesis that we see here in Matthew 5, where Jesus speaks that you have heard it said. Let me remind you that he's saying you've heard it said that the Pharisees have interpreted the law this way. But I say to you, and I remind you that when Jesus says, I say to you, he is telling them that he is the authority on the law. Not only is he the authority on the law, he was the one who gave the law to Moses. He says, I was there, and I know it, I understand it, because it was given by God the Father, me, and the Holy Spirit. And so we don't look to other people to interpret it. We're going to hear specifically straight from Jesus Christ. It says this as we pick up in verse 43 through 48. It says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now I want to stop there for just a moment. In my Bible, the NASB 1995 Version, it says, You shall love your enemy, and that is in italicized. What does that mean? You might know. It's quoting what? The Old Testament. But the second part of this, and you hate your enemy, is not italicized. Now, you may see that in your Bible, and I want you to recognize that because it's very important here in a moment. In verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you and we praise your holy name. Uh, Father, we recognize that without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit illuminating the pages today, Father, we recognize that we cannot in our own power and ability understand your words. But Father, we thank you that you have given us your helper. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate the pages. Father, put me on the front row that I may also hear what you are speaking today. Father, may your word go forth, for we recognize that your word will not return void. Lord, my words will, but yours will not. So Father, as I stand today, I'm dependent upon you to preach and to speak. 
Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. For it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. So we see here, and we've kind of looked at this in, in, in the same way of each of these antitheses. We've said, first, let's look at what the Pharisees are saying or how, what their interpretation of the law is. So we see this in verse 43. You have heard that it is said, or it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So the first thing we see is the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. Now, they have defined what their neighbor is, who their neighbor is. And the way that the Pharisees defined that was that their neighbor is the Jewish people, which meant that their enemies was the Romans. Their enemies were of other nationalities or the Gentiles. But can I tell you that it's very interesting that the Pharisees are sitting here and they're saying, hey, love your enemy and hate Or excuse me, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The reason that I showed you the italicized and part of it's not italicized is because you cannot find in the Old Testament where God says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now the reason that I say this is that it's very important and it reminds us that when we started all six of these antitheses, we said that some people think that Jesus is given a a, a correct understanding of the law, but really what he's doing is giving a correct understanding of the law based on what the Pharisees have interpreted the law. The Pharisees are saying, hey, you're called to love your neighbor, which is the Jewish people, but you're called to hate. Your enemy. Like, think about this. The Pharisees are ultimately telling the people that it's their right and their duty to view others as enemies. The Pharisees are actually telling the people that by hating your enemy, other people, you're actually honoring God. Now, you may say, David, this sounds absurd. Well, yes, because we have and understand through the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament, and what God is speaking. But I'm telling you that the Pharisees were telling the people that you are called to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. Now, where do you think the Pharisees may have gotten this from? You know, think about it. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, I mean, they were experts of the Old Testament, One of the reasons why it was so important for their interpretation is that a lot of people wouldn't have spoke the language to understand and read it in their own ability. So where would the Pharisees have gotten this? You know, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of commentary that I have read to look to see. And it's my belief that the the place where the Pharisees took this is that they have taken the judgment of God and twisted it to mean that they could hate their enemy. Let me explain to you. In the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel was to go back into the promised land, God told them to destroy those that were in the promised land, to remove them. Now, what was the reason for this? Well, we see it in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 and 5, this is what God speaks. Let's go to verse 4. Is that verse 4? It's not really showing up in the back. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. 
but it's because of the wickedness of these nations. It's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprighteousness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. In order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, See, what's interesting here is that when we look at what God's doing, he's saying to the nation of Israel, listen, my judgment is upon the wickedness of these people that are in the land. And because of that, you're going to drive them out. It wasn't because of their righteousness. It was because of what God was doing. And so what's interesting here is that, and, and what I believe and what I see in this passage is that the way that the Pharisees took this, they said, hey, listen, God called us to drive these people out. He shows us that we're called to hate our enemy. And so they twisted that and misinterpreted Scripture so that they could then tell people and justify their heart. They could say, love your neighbor, the Jewish people, but all other nations, the Romans and others, you're called to hate them, just like we see in the Old Testament. But here's the problem, church. We don't see that in the Old Testament. But we see that we're called to love our neighbors. I truly believe that the Pharisees had twisted the judgment of God to show that they could and justify their own wicked heart to hate their enemy. Before we go on to Jesus' interpretation, who would you say is your enemy? Who would you say is your enemy? Would you say that it's the people who are persecuting Christians across the world? You know, a few years back we saw ISIS doing things to Christians, literally killing them on video to to spread fear? Would you say that it's a different regime that is persecuting and, and punishing and hurting Christians? Would you say that your enemy is people that are pushing an anti God agenda in our country? Or would you say that your enemy is your coworker? Would you say that your enemy is a family member that you've been at odds with for years and years and years? Would you say today that your enemy is someone that has a different political view than you do? Or would you say that your enemy is anybody that's in a different political party than you are? See, the Pharisees said anybody that's in a different nationality is our enemy. But oftentimes, we don't just focus in on nationality, though we see that across our nation and other nations where you see racism that is taking place. But we consider enemy even those that we just have some type of ought against. Now, We have to be very careful when we define who our enemy is because the Bible is clear on who our enemy is. The Bible tells us that our enemy is the world system, the flesh, and the devil. Many people say the world, the flesh, 
and the devil. Now, the reason I say the world system or the world forces is because it's easy for you to say, okay, the world is the lost people. But the reality of it is, is that Jesus tells us throughout the scripture that our enemy is the world forces. It is uh, the flesh and the devil. But I want to be very clear. When Jesus comes in and gives the correct view, he says, love your enemy. He says, pray for your enemy. He is not telling us to pray for the world forces, the flesh, and the devil. But he's telling us to pray for those that you have now misinterpreted as your enemy. The Pharisees have misinterpreted that the Gentiles, tax collectors, the Roman citizens, the Roman uh, army, the Roman political people, they're their enemy. And he's saying, no, I'm going to redefine for you what your enemy is, and I'm going to show you who your true neighbor is. So Jesus comes and he says, he gives us this correct view of the law. And in this correct view of the law, there's three things I want us to look at. It says this in verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemy. I say to you, pray for those who persecute you. And then we see in verse 45, to do good for those who you consider your enemy. Now, I don't know about y'all, but this is difficult. Just hearing the overview of this message is difficult. I mean, just think about it. You probably don't want to love all people. I love how Brother Fred always said, you don't have to like everybody, but you got to love everyone. But Jesus gives us the correct view of the law, and he starts by saying, love your enemy. He gives us correct understanding, truly, of who your neighbor is. See, he says, love your enemy. But ultimately what he's telling us is that we're called to love all people, which means that even our enemy is our neighbor. Now, you may say, David, help me understand this. Okay, so we have this parable that best defines it in Luke 10, 25-37. We all know it as the Good Samaritan. So let's pick up in Luke 10 and let's read this in verse 25-37. through 37. It says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and who? Your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, so do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Well, that's a good question. Jesus says, you got to love your neighbor, right? And he says, well, what is, who is my neighbor? Trying to justify his actions. And Jesus gives us this parable in verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. I've always wondered what that meant by half dead. But he was in bad condition. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road. And he saw him and he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey, came up to him, and when he saw him, he felt, and you may want to underline this, compassion. He 
felt compassion. On, it says, and, and came to him and bandaged, bandaged up his wounds, poured oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Now, verse 36 is so important. Which of these three, Jesus is saying, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Uh, Listen, the question was, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers the question of who is your neighbor by asking another question. I love, Jesus does that all throughout the scriptures, doesn't he? And he asks this question. Who proved to be a neighbor to this man? He didn't answer the question of, well, who's my neighbor? He said, who proved to be a neighbor to this man? And he responds by saying, the one who showed mercy towards him, and Jesus said to him, go and do the same. See, Jesus answers this question of who will you be a neighbor to? See, we can ask all day long, well, who's my neighbor? But Jesus is saying, who will you be a neighbor to? I love, uh, we were at this conference, the marriage conference this weekend, and one of the things that a guy was sharing, he said, you know, somebody came to me and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm planting a church and it's for people, uh, uh, actually this was at a, a, a different speaker, I, I'm mixing things up. Scott Dawson had a uh, pastor come in and speak this past week here in Mobile and I was able to go and hear and listen and be poured into. And this person came up to this pastor and he said, hey, um, I'm, I'm going to start a church and uh, we're going to focus in on 25 to 45 years old. That's all we're focusing on, 25 to 45. And, and the guy said, okay, well, uh, explain to me this. And he goes, yeah, like statistics tell us that, that 25 to 45 this is what we got to focus in on you know this is how we're going to grow the church by focusing on these and the pastor looked at him and said sir i'm sorry but your target market is anybody who's breathing jesus is saying here that your neighbor is anyone who's breathing the question is not is he your neighbor or is she your neighbor the question is will you be a neighbor to them will you have compassion will you love them jesus is totally changing their paradigm their thoughts on this jesus tells us to love our enemy and to pray for our enemy and ultimately he's saying in some sense that even our enemy is our neighbor Are we going to love them and pray for them? Now, let me just be very clear. Loving your enemy is not enabling them in their sin. Our culture tells us that loving your enemy or loving somebody means that you accept and believe that it is right whatever they're doing. They use this word tolerance, which really can't exist because if you're 
truly tolerant, then you need to be tolerant to all people. And for some reason, those who say you need to be tolerant aren't tolerant to Christians. Doesn't really make sense, does it? I mean, anyways, I won't go there. But church, the world tells us that if you truly love somebody, then you accept every bit of what they're doing as even right. They don't want you just to, to just say that, that, that you love them. They want you to say that what they're doing is right and good. The world has changed and, and, and taken what's wrong and made it right, and what's right has made it wrong. Jesus is not saying love your enemy by enabling them in their sin. Because Jesus loved the enemy, and we'll get to that in a minute, those who were enemies of the cross, who was it? Sinners, right? It talks about that in Romans. But he never compromised the truth. Jesus, friend of sinners, but never compromised the truth. Church, Jesus is not telling you to go and to just accept everything that the world's offering so that you can have all these friends that are of the world and then they think that you love them. You don't love somebody if you're not willing to tell them the truth. But we're called to do it with compassion. We're called to do it with mercy. We're called to do that with love. Being filled by the Holy Spirit And putting on the lens of Christ and seeing people the way that Christ sees people. Can I tell you that one of the best ways that you can love your enemy is to realize who the real enemy is? When you realize that the real enemy is Satan, that it's the world forces and the flesh, and you realize that this person that you're calling the enemy is really enslaved to the real enemy, in shackles to the real enemy, being deceived by the real enemy, let me tell you, you can truly love that person and have compassion upon them. That's the reason we must recognize, church, that the true enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The second thing that Jesus tells us, he tells us to love our enemy, which means also to love our neighbor, for they're all our neighbor. He tells us to have compassion, right, on them. But look at what he says also in verse 30. Oh, I'm in Luke over here. What does he say also in verse 44? He says, and pray for those. Pray for your enemy. Now, church, I don't know about y'all, but that's tough. That's tough to do. So we see that we're called to love our enemy. We see that Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Do you realize that if you truly love someone, you're going to be praying for them? It's hard to pray for somebody that you don't love unless you're praying, Lord, just, I just want you to just show them your wrath. I wrote down three things that I think that we need to be praying for our enemy. One, we need to be praying for their salvation. We need to be praying for their salvation. Can I tell you at the beginning, I said, what are some of your enemies? And I said, co-workers. I said, maybe it's a family member. I said, maybe it's somebody in a different political party than you. Have you ever thought about the fact of praying for those who have a different political view rather than complaining about them? Can I just make a statement? If we prayed more than we complained... I think that we would see amazing things happen. Can I just say that again? Maybe I need to say it this way. 
if we prayed more than we complained and allowed news to infiltrate our mind, we would see amazing things take place. Church, are you praying for those that you see as an enemy? Are you praying for their salvation? You can pray all day about behavior modification. You can want them to change their behavior. But let me tell you something. Ain't nothing going to happen until they have a heart transformation. And I'll also tell you that if it wasn't for the grace of God transforming your heart, you would be on the other side too. So pray for their salvation. I think that another thing that we need to do about praying for our enemy is pray for the evil to be restrained. Father, there are some that are not even hearing the gospel and they don't realize what they're doing. Father, I pray that the evil that they are doing by being deceived from the real enemy, I pray, Father, that you would restrain that in the name of Jesus. But then I also believe that we're called to pray that God would soften their hearts to see what's taking place all around them. Now, it's difficult to pray for those that have persecuted you. It's difficult to pray for those who come against you verbally. Those who threaten your life because you believe in Jesus. Those who have a different viewpoint than you. But God calls us through the power of the Holy Spirit to cry out on their behalf. Jesus tells us to pray. One of the most moving passages in Scripture is when Stephen is being stoned. And he prays for those that are stoning him. Knowing that his life is about to be over. He looks up and he sees he sees, sees the Lord. He prays for those that are taking his life. And when I say taking his life, I know that it had to go before the throne of God. But what a powerful statement. Stephen realized, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm about to be with Jesus for all eternity. But if the people that are doing this to me does not, do not come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will spend eternity apart from God. And in some of his last breaths, he prays, Father, forgive them. Father, may their eyes be opened. May they see so that they too would not spend eternity in a place called hell. Jesus calls us to love and have compassion on our enemy. Jesus calls us to pray for. But then he also tells us to do good. To do good to our, for our enemy. You say, David, where do you get that from? Look at verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We'll look at that in a moment, but let's keep going. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is very interesting. We call this common grace. God's rain falls 
on the righteous and the unrighteous. He allows the the sun to shine on good and evil. Think about this for a moment. A farmer would understand this. What does it require for him to, he plants seeds and then what does he have to, what does it require for seeds to grow? Rain, water, and sun. So think of this. If you have a wicked farmer who's cursing God, wants nothing to do with God, but yet God allows the rain to fall and the sun so that this farmer has crop, do we see here that even one who is cursing God, that his grace is upon him? He is fully just. God is fully just in saying, you know what, you're cursing me, though you're against me, you have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior. He bled on a cross for you. God is fully just to say, no rain and no sun, you're going to get nothing to eat. But he says, I love you. I created you. And you've been deceived by the enemy. And so God says, the rain and the sun fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, I want to be very careful here. Some people think that this means all people will go to heaven. Some people say, well, God reigns on the just and the unjust. He's going to, when it comes time that we breathe our last, everybody will make it to heaven. But can I tell you, that is is, is so far from the truth of God's word. Let's be very clear. If you're going to try and, and, and interpret something, you better interpret God's word with God's word. God's word will never go against his own word. And God's word tells us that those who trample over the blood of Jesus will spend eternity in a place called hell. There will be an eternal judgment. Now, you may say, but David, he's not putting his judgment now and they're cursing him and they're doing all these different things. Yes, let's read. Let's look at the scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. But look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You say, David, I don't understand. God lets the sun and the rain to fall on the, the unjust. Yeah, but that judgment's still coming. And the reason that that judgment has not fallen is because He wishes for all to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Church, praise God that that moment has not come. Because we still are called to share the gospel with all those around by loving our enemy, by praying for them, and by doing good towards them. Let me go back for a moment to the Good Samaritan. Look at what it says in the very last verse of verse 37. Well, let's actually go back to verse 36 on the screen. Which of these three do you think proves to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. 
And Jesus said to him what? Go and do the same. What did he do? He showed compassion. How did he show compassion? He gave of his time and he gave of his resources. Church, he gave of his time and he gave of his resources. Will we go and do the same? Will we do good towards those who are even considered enemies against us? Now, I'm not telling you to go and give of resources in order to enable someone in their sin. But when we give of time and when we give of resources, people are seeing the love and compassion and mercy of God the Father in and through our lives. And let me tell you, whether you're willing to use your resources or not tells me and tells you ultimately whether you truly believe that God is your provision. Because if we hold everything back and say, well, I can't help that person or this person because I may not have enough, God's saying, I thought that I'm your all in all and that I'm enough. Are we going to truly believe that God is enough? Are we going to truly believe that He's the one who gives everything that we have? I love what 1 John 3, 17-18 tells us. We read this last week in closing because we were talking about giving. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? But then look at verse 18. Little children, let us... Not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. I think that, and I believe that this goes right into this. Are we willing to love with deed and truth to even those who say they're against us? That in doing so, we're showing them the compassion and the love and the grace of God. I love what Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 says. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will be heaping burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, I don't think that we're supposed to look at that passage and say, okay, this is why I'm going to do good to my enemy is because I want to heap burning coals on their head. We do good because God has called us to. It reflects his image and his character. And in doing so, God tells us and shows us what's happening in their heart. They're trying to figure out why would somebody be so good and so nice? Why would somebody be willing to give and to help? But then the third thing that we see in this passage, and I'm going to skip. I know that I gave you number three. But I'm going to share this, is that we reflect Jesus in our life. We reflect Jesus in our life when we do these things. Let me go back to verse 4. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
Now what this passage is not saying is that you earn salvation by loving your enemy and by praying for your enemy. It's not saying, hey, you want salvation, you want to earn it, then go do it. Go love your enemy. But what it's saying is, is that when you love your enemy and when you pray for those who persecute you and when you do good, even for those who are against you, then you are reflecting the image and the character of your father. Or you could say it like this, like father, like son. Like father, like son. That's the reason why Jesus then speaks this in the end. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And then he says, if you greet only your brother, and um, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. I mean, you may not grasp this right here, but these are profound statements. The Jews don't like the tax collectors. You're going to compare me to a tax collector? You're going to say that if I hate my enemy, I'm just like a tax collector? I mean, these are people who are supporting the Roman people, the Roman government, by being tax collectors, and then they're adding financial charges on top of that to make extra money. We don't like them. Oh, you thought tax collectors was a bad comparison. Jesus says, actually, if you don't love all people and you hate your enemy, and you only love those who love you, you're actually not just like the tax collectors, but you're also like the Gentiles. Whoa! The Gentiles? I mean, that was like, we hate them. And you're going to compare me to them? Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying. Church, we're called to reflect the image and character of our Father, and we can only do that when we're poor in spirit. We can only do that when we humble ourselves before God. We can only do that when we live out the beatitudes that we saw a few months ago. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or, as we say here every week, when we abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit does that in and through you and me. The last point is Jesus' example. Can I tell you that Jesus' the best commentary on Jesus' words? The best commentary. Y'all ready for it? You're not going to believe it. You ready? Is his actions. You can look at every commentary you want, but you want the best commentary on Jesus' words? Look at his actions. Church, Jesus loved you when we were enemies. Romans tells us in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, and verse 10, it says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
Jesus is telling them, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And God says that Jesus loved you even when we were enemies of the cross. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. In the book of Luke, when Jesus was hanging upon the cross for you and for me, Jesus speaks these words in verse 34 of chapter 23. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. And Jesus prayed, forgive them. As they were nailing spikes through his hand and through his feet. As they, in their mind, thought they were punishing him and killing him. But in reality, Jesus was giving up his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. And can I tell you that Jesus did good even for the enemies. You know what he did? He went to the cross. He shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. And he rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Church, the greatest commentary on Jesus' words or his actions. You want to know what Jesus meant by love your enemy? Pray for those who persecute you and do good for those who are enemies? We look no further than the cross. But Jesus says to you, go and do likewise. Now you can't die for somebody else's sin. And there's no reason for you to do that because Jesus died for the sins of the world. But let me tell you, you can love your enemy. You can pray for those. And you can reflect the image and character of Jesus by the way that you live your life every day.